everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Gotera. Thanks for stopping by on this Monday, June 21st, as we kick off another week. It was an eventful weekend in Houston sports. Lots going on. We will dive into all of that, including the Astros' destruction of the White Sox. I have thoughts. I have lots of thoughts on that series, what it means, what we learn, all that sort of stuff. We will uh, get to that in a few minutes. But first, let's get the uh, business matters out of the way. Uh, Go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. I don't know what you're waiting for, uh, but that way you get alerts every time I post a new episode. As I mentioned, this is episode 63, a recap of the weekend. We also have a guest. It's Jackson Gatlin of the Locked On Rockets podcast. We talked over the weekend about the upcoming Rockets draft lottery situation, which is tomorrow, Tuesday, the 22nd. It's like the Rockets Super Bowl, right? The Rockets were so bad and so miserable this year. All the stuff going on off the court and the the record on it, uh, the growing pains that they went through. This is it, man. Like, they were so bad. They need the number one pick. But if they don't get that and they fall to number five because the lottery is what it is sometimes, that's what happens. It gets really, really bad for the Rockets, and Jackson will dive into all of that as well. Uh, So, yes, go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate the support, and I don't know if I've talked about this on this podcast yet. If I have, excuse me, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to repeat myself. Um, I think it was either last week or the week before I found out I no longer have a perfect rating on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, it cut deep. Actually, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was bothered by it. I had to walk around the house for, uh, you know, walk around the neighborhood. I was like, no, I'm just kidding. It didn't affect me that much. But I no longer have a perfect rating on Apple Podcasts. It is now a 4.6. Somebody out there, someone was so distraught and so upset with what I've said. Maybe they just don't like me personally. So they just wanted to go on there and just give me a one-star review. And because of the one-star review, I no longer have a five-star review. So for whoever gave me that review. I'm sure you still listen. I don't know if I have many subscribers, but, you know, people do listen to this thing. I get the numbers in every day. And, uh, yeah, I I don't know who that is, but uh, I guess thank you because that means I'm leaving some kind of an impact. If you don't like what I'm saying or you don't think it's structured the right way, at least you listen, so I got the number. Thank you for the uh, download. appreciate it even though you gave me that one-star review. By the way, this podcast in the KHUU Podcast of Families is now, I believe, the third most listened-to podcast in our family. I think it's number three. So we've climbed all the way from the bottom to number three. I'm still chasing down our murder mystery uh, investigative team, the old uh, Missing Pieces group, which they do fantastic work. But uh, it's going to take me a while to get there. Uh, But we we, we are going to try to track them down as best I can. Uh, So anyway... Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for tuning in. It is episode 63 of the podcast, and we begin this sucker by talking about what happened at Minute Maid Park. The Astros destroyed the White Sox this weekend. I kind of teased this last week. And by the way, uh, I know I'm promising about three episodes a week, but last week got totally crazy, had some things come up that I did not expect were kind of going to get in the way of what I was trying to do. And, uh... One interview I'm trying to get is not materializing uh, the way I want it. So things came up. So I, I only had one last week. So I'm going to try to get to three this week uh, if I can. But uh, we start off by talking about Astros White Sox on this episode 63. Okay. 
Let me say this first. Um, you guys know that I'm a huge White Sox fan. I've been a White Sox fan my whole life. I became a White Sox fan when I was a, uh, a little kid. Frank Thomas was my guy. When he burst onto the scene, he was a tremendous player, Hall of Famer. I mean, I mean, I don't have to talk about who, who Frank Thomas is. But uh, he left a huge impact on me because I loved to see him play, loved to see him hit home runs. And from that point on, I became a White Sox fan. And I've always been a White Sox fan. So, you know, growing up, they went to the playoffs in 93, should have won the World Series in 94 except for the strike. Um, and then, you know, they had another uh, playoff appearance in 2000. And then in 2005 is obviously everybody in Houston knows they swept the Astros right out of the World Series to win their first title in 88 years. And that, you know, that 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 moment was so huge for me. And so I've been in Houston now since 92. OK, but I've still always maintained my White Sox allegiance. And, you know, it's really hard to see these two teams play one another, especially when they're both good. Right. Obviously, I'm not going to question my allegiance. I'm always going to root for the White Sox against the Astros. That doesn't matter. I mean, that's 100 percent true. But it's it stinks in the fact that I, you know, if you're on Twitter, you're on social media, there's a lot of people that are around and you know, people that I know, my friends that are Astros fans and, you know, all that stuff goes around. And so if you see your team losing, then you see other people celebrating that, you know, that it's just a tough situation. So I actually hate it when these two teams play, especially when they're both good. And that hasn't happened in a while. Right. The last couple of years in the Astros have been really good. The White Sox have been total trash and they're re they've been rebuilding just like before when the White Sox were somewhat decent. The Astros were bad. So now both of them are really good. And so this weekend, I was looking forward to it to see what the White Sox could do coming in a Minute Maid, and it turns out that they, they didn't even show up. It was a complete – from a White Sox perspective, it was a complete embarrassment. And uh, I went to the game on Thursday night um, thinking that, okay, well, let's kind of kick this series off the right way. The Astros pitching staff, what it was, Urquidy was pitching. He had struggled, you know, a couple of times here lately. Uh, so I thought, oh, maybe the White Sox – no. It was, and I noticed from the very beginning they had no energy. White Sox coming off a great series victory against Tampa. The Rays, by the way, I think are the best team in the American League. They're better than the Astros. I think they're better than the White Sox, frankly. And uh, they're better than everybody else. They've got the experience. They went to the World Series last year. They've got the pitching. But they're dealing with some injuries, too. So they, they've kind of hit a little bit of a skid. The White Sox beat them in a series earlier in the week. And I thought riding into this series they were going to play well. They did not. They didn't show up. They were not competitive. It was, frankly, embarrassing. Um, and I noticed it on Thursday night that the at-bats were bad. The approaches at the plate were, were really, really poor. Swinging at pitches way outside, swinging at pitches way high. Um, it really made it easy for Astros pitching. I mean, the approach at the plate this weekend was really, really bad. And not to make excuses, obviously, for the White Sox because, you know, they're professionals and, they're, and they were the best team in baseball coming into Houston into this weekend. But, uh, I mean, there were times this weekend the White Sox put out a triple-A lineup out there. I mean, they had guys that have no business playing in the major leagues because they're out with – they don't have four of their players, four-star players, four starters the White Sox are not uh, are, are not with right now. So it sounds like it's an excuse, but it's it's reality. So the offense – but still, I mean, the approach at the plate and the at-bats were not good. And the Astros carved them up. And you knew the Astros' offense was going to be good, even though they didn't have Bregman or, or Tucker. They still have guys that are – that are amazing hitters, and Brantley, Altuve, I, you know who they are. Um, but the pitchers for the White Sox, that was the strong point for the White Sox coming into the series, and three of the four guys that threw this weekend, Dallas Keuchel, Dylan Cease, and Lance Lynn, had their worst starts of the year. Their, their pitching approach was not good. For example, 
they were they were pitching Jordan Alvarez low. Okay, first of all, you don't pitch lefty hitters low for the mo- for the most part. You try to get them up high in the strike zone, but they were pitching him low, and he was just spraying the ball all over the field. I mean, that's what's, what was going to happen. So, complete embarrassment from a White Sox perspective. Um, it's something that they can learn from. From an Astros perspective, here's the thing. Astros' perspective, they now have the best record in baseball. And the thing that surprised me the most from this series wasn't the offense and the fact they put up 27 runs in four games. Yeah, in a way, that was surprising given the quality of White Sox pitching that they were going to face. Well, whatever, it happens. Uh, was For me, the, the biggest thing was the pitching staff. Um, the Astros' pitching staff, look, we've talked about their bullpen before. And their bullpen, frankly, is not very good, but they're starting to get better. They're starting to show the flashes of what they had at the end of last year in that 60-game season when they pitched so well in the playoffs. Uh, their starters, let me tell you, if they're start, I don't think their starters are this good from what we saw this weekend. I don't think they're this good. But if they get to be this good, the Astros are going to win the World Series again. They're going to win the World Series. And I'll, I'll say it right now, and I'm confident in saying it, if the, if the Astros get the type of pitching that they got this weekend, no one will beat them. No one will beat them. Not even the whiny Dodgers out there on the West Coast. Nobody's going to beat them. Okay, because they've got the offense, and all they need is their pitching staff to be just half of what it was this weekend, and they're going to be in every single ball game. And so guys like Jose Urquidy, Luis Garcia, who, by the way, is completely unwatchable on the mound. I- I've, de- I've decided this. His little, like, cha-cha step, wind-up thing that he's got, it it works for him, and God bless him for it. But as somebody watching the game, it's very hard for me to watch that. I get I get anxious, and I, uh, and, and, and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all watching him pitch. But it works for him. He's been pitching great. Uh, Framber Valdez was also very good. And Lance McCullers, we know, coming off the injury, he's going to only get stronger. They still got Zach Greinke. And I think that's going to be the five at the end of the day. I think Odorizzi will probably be used as kind of a long man on the bullpen eventually. They've got that six-man rotation. But I'm telling you, if that pitching staff pitches even half of what they did this weekend, they are going to win the World Series. Not just be in it, they're going to win it. Because the offense is just amazing. Carlos Correa is hitting really well. I still think he should have signed the contract at the beginning of the year, but whatever. Uh, He's playing really well. Michael Brantley in that lineup. Uh, Again, after missing a couple of games or a couple of weeks there because he was hurt. He's back. Uh, Jose Altuve is playing it again at an MVP level. Jordan Alvarez is really good. Yuli's hitting the ball well. Even guys that you know, that are filling in for Breckman. A- Abraham Toro this weekend looked like Babe Ruth. The White Sox made him look like Babe Ruth, for goodness sake. Just, I mean, why are you pitching this guy so carefully? And he delivered. Toro delivered. I got uh, Romel Garcia, Robel Garcia, excuse me, has no business hitting shots like he did on Saturday against the Sox, but he did. And so those guys that probably should be in AAA are contributing now in the big leagues. So they've got everything going on right now. We'll see how it how it keeps going. And the other thing the Astros have going for them is Minute Maid Park. And that gives me to my next point, and something that I noticed this weekend. We've talked about this Astros team always needing to play with some swagger. With the swagger of, hey, everyone hates us, and we need to go out there and play. Last year at times they didn't. In the playoffs they started getting it. Now 
it seems like they have it. And when they play here at home, they're almost unbeatable. They're almost unbeatable. Like, you have to come in here with your A game to beat the Astros at Minute Maid Park because there's nowhere else that will have their backs like right here at home. And I, frankly, not, not just because it gets loud and all that, I think it is just a calming thing for this team to be back in what they feel are the friendly confines. This is the friendly confines. Everywhere else that they go, they're hated. And rightfully so, because let's be honest, and Astros fans don't like to hear this, they cheated. They cheated. Were they the only ones that cheated? Probably not. Now, do I think the cheating helped them win the World Series? No. And if you look at all the metrics that have come out and all the analytics and all the analysis that have that have uh, arrived after after all the of the years of breaking things down at bats and garbage can bank the whole thing we've looked at all the numbers i don't think it affected them winning the world series i think they were the better team in 2017 they went on the road and won two games at dodger stadium the dodgers the, the whiny dodgers have no ground to stand on they should have won their home games and they would have won the world series but they didn't they lost to at home including game 7 so they have no excuse to complain but the astros did cheat right and uh, and I think and one of those that's one of the things that became you know crystal clear during this uh, during this series in particular. And I know Astros fans are always going to hate the White Sox. I get that. That's one of the reasons why I hate when these two teams play another, one another. The Astros will always hate the White Sox because of what happened in 2005. The White Sox spanked the Astros in the World Series, sweeping them in their first ever World Series appearance. And they're not going to get over that. I have Astros fans that I still are not over that, even though they've won a World Series because of the sweep, the nature of it was, walk-off home runs, uh, their color man being a World Series hero for the White Sox. I mean, you can go on and on. Uh, so they're always going to hate the White Sox. And it's just it, it was just interesting to see that, you know, I think Astros fans, and in their defense, this, this is what they have to do. They have to defend their team and all that. They they will use any little bit of fuel to really charge up their engines, right? Like, I mean, if the White Sox, I mean, the White Sox broadcast, I think on Thursday night came out banging trash cans in their in their studio show. That was cringeworthy stuff, right? So, like any little thing that the the fan the Astros fan base can use, they're gonna light other fan bases up with it, and it's all part of the nature of going back and forth and all that. I, I still, I still, in a way, still feel bad for the Astros fan base and the fact that their only World Series title will always be tainted with the fact that everyone else, and no matter what people say and no matter what, you know, everybody brings up about the fact that, oh, yeah, that doesn't bother us. We still won the World Series. It still bothers people. It still bothers people that their only World Series that the organization has ever won has this cloud hanging over it, Okay. That it's it's human nature, right? I mean, if that would that would be the case in 05, if the White Sox had won the World Series and then there was this cloud hanging over the organization that year that, oh, my gosh, they, they did some stuff they probably shouldn't have been doing, and then everybody saw my team as a cheater, that would make me upset. <laughs> that would bother me, and Astros fans are always going to have to deal with that. And in, in a way, I do feel bad for them because they didn't, they didn't ask for it. The players did what they did and really put everybody in a bad spot. But... Uh, I just, uh, I just think that in Minute Maid Park, this is where they feel at home, like more so than any other teams. And we've see, we see other teams have good home records and all that. But right now, Minute Maid Park is the place where the Astros 
feel at home. They play their best baseball, not just because they're at home, because they feel safe. They feel the crowd is really behind them, and as they are, they should be loud. They should be supportive. And um, it's just an interesting dynamic that we're seeing with the Astros now. And we'll see if it continues. They have the support of the fan base on social media. Man, I'm telling you what, I, I had to bite my tongue several times on writing back. And, and that's one of the, the most ironic things as, as far as White Sox fans kind of diving into this whole cheating thing. I, I know a bunch of people that are White Sox fans, obviously. And, you know, there's no reason to egg on or – chastise Astros fans about the cheating scandal. You beat them in the World Series of 2005, you have the ultimate trump card, and they're never, ever going to get back to you. So just play that card. I played that card several times this weekend on people that try to come at me on social media about, oh, hey, how's your team looking? Uh, They're looking fine holding the World Series trophy that we whipped you guys on 16 years ago. We're good. We're fine. Uh, That's the only – that's the trump card, right? Um, So it was just – it was a – it was a, an awesome series for the Astros. It was a devastating series for the White Sox in the sense that, you know, all they needed to do was really just win one game. And not only did they not win one game, they got their butts kicked, right? So it's still June. It was just an interesting dynamic. We'll see how this series kind of plays out when they go back to Chicago next month. But th- these two teams will forever be connected with what happened in 2005 And for the White Sox, they will always have the upper hand, even though sometimes the series on a year-to-year basis swings from one way to the other. Uh, So that's my take on the Astros-White Sox uh, series. Uh, Astros going to Baltimore. In fact, they got a great schedule coming up. They play some really horrible teams, Baltimore, Detroit. Uh, I think they go to Cleveland, who's not bad. But before the All-Star break, they have an opportunity here to, you know, really build a nice little lead now that they're in first place in the AL West. So, We'll see what happens there. The other uh, thing that happened this weekend, well, uh, let's see. The other thing that happened this weekend was James Harden getting knocked out. James Harden getting knocked out of the uh, playoffs in the second round. So he wanted to leave Houston because he wanted to win a championship, and wouldn't you know it, he gets knocked out in the second round uh, when the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I know it's a little unfortunate. He was hurt. Yeah, it stinks that the guy was hurt. I mean, I you know what? If you do want to give him some kind of credit, he did play injured, which is which is admirable. But I think it is some kind of poetic justice for Rockets fans in the fact that, you know, he wanted to leave. He The way he left, he pretty much threw everybody under the bus. We don't need to relitigate all that stuff. We've talked about it before. And he left such a sour taste in everybody's mouth. And then he goes to Brooklyn, and then it all falls apart, and they don't even get out of the second round, which is usually what he did here. So it is kind of poetic justice, and I think somebody brought it up. I forget who it was. Somebody online brought it up. Next year is going to be really key. So, like, if the Nets win next year, I think it was Clutch Fans. I think that account, Clutch Fans, which is awesome. If you you want to follow the Rockets, I mean, that's the guy to follow. Um, And this is on Twitter. I said he mentioned, like, next year is going to be huge for this for the Rockets in the sense that if the if the Nets win, and this was his point, if the Nets win next year, there's the likelihood of those guys staying together. Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden is pretty good, but if they lose, they may blow the whole thing up. And if they blow the whole thing up, that means all those future draft picks that the Rockets got could be very, very good down the road because if the Nets suck, then those are good draft picks for the Rockets, uh, which, is, which is what they're hoping for, right? So Rockets fans still rooting for the Nets to be bad next year and not win a title. Uh, but uh, I saw that this weekend, and I thought that was uh, not fun in the sense, but I thought it was interesting that, you know, Harden makes this big deal. The situation's not fixable here. Well, it doesn't seem like the situation might be fixable over there 
Uh, in Brooklyn, they, they do need to fix a couple of things, and maybe it's just health, right? If, they, if everybody's healthy on that team, add a couple of more pieces, they should be probably one of the best in the NBA next year. But we go to the Rockets now, and uh, Jackson Gatlin of the Locked On Rockets podcast is my guest joining me to talk about the Rockets NBA Draft Lottery uh, event. I guess you want to call it an event. It's coming up on Tuesday. The draft lottery is happening on Tuesday, and the Rockets, well, they're in line to get that number one pick after having the worst record in the NBA, but there are certain things that may affect that uh, situation, and they could be as high as one or as low as 18. Jackson will break it down for you starting right now. Daniel, this is going to be a very fateful day for the Rockets franchise because there's a lot of different things that could happen this day. Now, for a quick refresher, right, because of the Russell Westbrook-Chris Paul trade a couple years back, the Rockets have a chance to keep this year's draft pick. Now, they are not guaranteed a top pick in this year's draft, even though they were the worst team in the NBA this season, 17-55 record. They only have a 52.1% chance of keeping a top pick in this draft. The pick that they have this year... They have a pick swap with Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma City has the right to swap for that pick if the pick falls down to number five. So they have a 52.1% chance for the pick to stay in the top four range, and then they've got a 47.9% chance for it to fall down to number five, which would then convey to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and then the Rockets would be picking at pick number 18 instead, which is a far cry from a top five pick in this draft. So there's kind of two different ways that this can go, and it's... uh. It's going to be either a really, really happy day for the Rockets franchise if they keep their pick, or it's going to be a really, really sad day for the Houston Rockets. Yeah, and I know people are, uh, I've already been saying prayers and been saying all sorts of stuff, lighting candles, all, the, all that good stuff. Uh, if they get that number one pick, look, it was such, a, it was such a, a bad year, a crazy year. I think they deserve it. I think Steven Silas deserve, <laughs> deserves this pick uh, to at least have something going on. Let's say they do end up in the top uh, top four, which is hopefully what happens. Uh, there's a lot of guys to choose from. So Cade Cunningham being the number one overall pick, the projected one at least, we could start there. And if people have never seen him play and the Rockets do get that number one pick, this guy can be something special. Cade is going to be the next face of somebody's franchise. Whoever lucks into the number one overall pick, they're going to have their franchise guy set for the next, you know, decade, if they can hold on to him. He is, you know, this really all-around most complete player in this draft. He's got, you know, the passing game. He's a solid defender. He's got an outside shot. He can play make. He can run pick and roll. He's kind of, we're going to call him kind of a blended average of, say, like Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic. That, that kind of play style, you kind of merge those two guys together, and that's what you're getting out of Cade Cunningham. And it's going to take him a little time, you know, to adjust to the NBA game. He didn't have a great team around him in college, and so, you know, the numbers look really good, but I, and it might take him a little bit to, you know, get accustomed to the NBA speed. But, you know, every, every major rookie, major prospect coming out of the draft takes a little bit of time to adjust to the NBA speed in the real NBA game. You know, you're, you're playing from – you know, going against college kids to playing against full-grown NBA men uh, once you make that jump. But he's absolutely going to be a top talent in this league for years to come. And if the Rockets can luck into the number one overall pick and get him alongside Kevin Porter Jr., Christian Wood, Jay Sean Tate, and KJ Martin, they're going to have a really exciting future. Now, that's the number one chip. That's the number one pick, right? That's that'd be a, it'd be great if they could keep that. But honestly, we're not going to be greedy if they keep the if they just keep a top four pick. The other guys in that top that uh, top four range. 
there's a lot of talent there. You've got Evan Mobley, who is a unicorn big. You've got Jalen Suggs, who is probably the next most complete two-way player after uh, Cade Cunningham, you know, great on both sides of the ball, kind of that elite combo guard, can play make, can play off the ball a little bit. And then Jalen Green, who is a bona fide alpha scorer and is going to have a really, really high ceiling at the NBA level. And I can break those guys down a little bit more for you if you want, Daniel, or if we can go a different direction, however you want to do it, man. Well, I just think, uh, I guess the next question is, do you like the draft lottery format? I know that it's always comes up a question. Like, I mean, these some of these teams have such rough years. I feel like... Uh, they, they deserve a shot at the number one team. But then on the opposite, you know, the flip side, you don't want teams tanking on purpose. I get it, right? But how do you feel uh, about this uh, draft lottery as we go through it now that the Rockets are impacted more so than they have been in a really long time? I Honestly, I, I don't mind the format. You know, I think that we saw – teams starting to really try and take advantage of the previous lottery format really you know and obviously the the first team that comes to mind uh is the process sixers right uh sam hinky over there having the sixers just continually be the worst team every year trying to tank for these you know high draft picks and now you're seeing the results of that, right, with Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons. And even though they're holding on by the skin of their teeth against the Atlanta Hawks in that series, um, they've got a lot of talent. And, and now, you know, former Rockets executive Daryl Morey over there running the show for the 76ers. But I, I honestly don't, I don't hate it because what I do hate is teams that go out there with the sole intention of tanking games. Because I think that ruins the NBA product overall, trying to go out there and, you know, running out teams that have zero chance to win on a nightly basis. It's bad for organizations. It's bad for the league. And it's just not a great overall look. You know, you look at this Rockets team, even though they were 17 and 55 and the worst team in the NBA this season. I don't remember another team that was the worst team in the NBA that was as competitive as this Rockets team was on a nightly basis. They have a lot of talent and Steven Silas has players who are fighting really hard for him. They just, you know, they didn't have the right pieces this year. They never had enough practice time together. The games, you know, running five games and seven nights for, you know, back-to-back weeks to end the season. It was just brutal. So it's hard to expect any modicum of success when you're dealing with all this adversity, but I don't think the 17 and 55 record is an accurate reflection of the actual talent on this Rockets team. So to just tie it all together in a little bow, I don't mind the new format for the draft lottery. I think it's perfectly okay. I think that Rockets fans are a little more so shaken by the pick swap in this year's draft than the actual lottery format. Uh, And finally, I have to ask you before we get out of here, what are your thoughts on the playoffs so far? Um, It's it's anybody's championship, which is fun. Like I, I enjoy that. And we don't see the, the big names, the, the Steph Curry's LeBron James anymore. We don't see that. I, I, there's teams that have never won a championship competing for. I think that's awesome. I think that's good for the league, for those fan bases to kind of expand. What are your, what are your uh, takes takeaways from this uh, playoff so far? Well, Daniel, I, I've, I, I'm full agreement with you. I love that it's kind of anybody's game at this point in the playoffs. Even the Brooklyn Nets look, you know, kind of uh, mortal a little bit with yeah. the injury to Kyrie Irving. And I think that kind of hits the nail on the head is you talk about there's, you know, no LeBron, no AD, um, you know, no Kawhi. Now there's, there's star players that are out. But it's unfortunate that for us to get this level of kind of parity in the playoffs where it's anybody's you know chance to win the championship, it's unfortunate that we had to 
see all these injuries happen to get to this point. And that I think there's a lot of telltale signs that really point to the fact that the NBA had that condensed season, had so many games crammed into such a short amount of time. You started seeing all the soft tissue injuries really mounting up for these star players. And that's unfortunate that it took injuries and a, you know, a COVID season with all these precautions in place to get us to a point where the field is wide open instead of it being, you know, just two or three teams with a chance to realistically win the title. So I enjoy it on one side and I see the negatives as to why it happened on another side, but I'm just, you know, the games have been exciting so far and that's all you can really ask for. Well, we're seeing that same thing in Major League Baseball, too. So uh, the effects of the COVID season is definitely uh, in play. Jackson Gatlin, Locked On Rockets podcast. Always a pleasure to have you, man. Absolutely, Daniel. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Jackson. Appreciate that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, I, I honestly think, the Rockets have always had success with the number one pick in years past when they've been in the lottery, especially in situations like this. So... You know, they got Yao Ming when they had an 8% chance of getting the number one overall pick. The Bulls were the worst team that year, and they ended up getting the second pick. So, um, And they got lucky, too, when they flipped a coin to get uh, Hakeem Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson in back-to-back years. So they've always had luck in these situations. I think they get the number one pick. My colleagues at KHU think otherwise. They think it's going to be two. I think it's if it's not the number one pick, they will end up in the top four. I, I don't see them getting fifth and then dropping down to 18, that would be a catastrophe. Uh, But I think they do get a top four pick, and I honestly think it'll be the number one pick because uh, Steven Silas deserves it, as I mentioned in that conversation with Jackson. So, Jackson, thank you so much. We'll see what happens. I will be on the anchor desk uh, tonight and tomorrow. So you guys will see me on KHOU then, talking Astros, talking Rockets, talking all sorts of stuff, Houston sports. And uh, hopefully I'll have a podcast episode on Wednesday. Maybe then we'll dive into the NCAA ruling, uh, the 9-0 ruling against the NCAA by the Supreme Court. Uh, I should say Supreme Court ruling against the NCAA. It was a unanimous decision. It's a big shot across the bow for the NCAA as they try to maintain its amateurism status. And um, I think it's only a matter of time, man that uh, we start opening these things up for athletes to get paid. I think that's a terrible idea. I think they should uh, benefit off of their likeness, autographs, jersey sales. They should get some kind of cut. They should not get paid. Uh, But I think this opens the door for um, bigger schools to really have a competitive edge. Not that they don't have it already over some of the smaller schools around the country because uh, more money is being pumped into those programs as opposed to some of the other ones. But hopefully we'll dive into that on Wednesday. I'll try to have something. If not, and I'll talk to you whenever I talk to you, but Wednesday is the date. This was Episode 63. I'll uh, see you guys later.